Steve Kerr decided to go with the Golden State Warriors instead of the New York Knicks, spurning his mentor Phil Jackson. I'm Brian Gibberman on another edition of the Knicks Wall Podcast, and joining me, someone who knows Steve Kerr very well from his time in Phoenix when he was the general manager from 2007 to 2010, Paul Coral from azcentral.com. You can follow him at Paul Coral on Twitter. Paul, how you doing today? Good, Gibby. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much for taking time out of your very busy schedule. Now, you are in Chicago at the NBA pre-draft camp, correct? Yes, the uh, the uh, poor man's NFL combine. Not, not quite as important, but still interesting. And we'll get to that in a little bit. We'll talk a little bit of that about that before I let you go. But we're going to start with Kerr and the Knicks head coaching search. Now, the combine, basically any person who's important involved with the NBA is in Chicago right now. Are you hearing any buzz regarding the Knicks coaching search or what happened with Kerr and why it didn't work out with the Knicks going around the rumor mill while you're out there? Um, not really. I mean, there's some there's some mild surprise, I guess, in that he, in the end, he, he spurned Phil. Uh, but I think everybody is understanding of what his reasons probably are for doing so and and probably and seem to be more impressed of how how hard Golden State made a push to lure him back uh, once it looked like he might be headed New York way. I mean, it seems like that he was going to go to the Knicks, but then the the Pistons thing with Van Gundy seemed to come out of nowhere. That was pretty crazy. That's true, but I I you know I really felt like Golden State was an ideal match for Steve Kerr all along. Uh, for multiple reasons, uh, you know, some personal with his daughter uh, playing vo- volleyball at Cal and uh, his relationship with uh, Joe Lacob and, and um, Rick Welts, the president, who was president of the Suns at the time he was GM, um, the roster being a better fit, you know, how much he thought he had Steve Kerr or Steph Curry on draft night one year and now he gets to, to coach him instead. It just, it made sense on a lot of levels except for the Phil Jackson part. What what is his relationship with uh, Warriors owner Joe Lacob? How how far back do they go? Uh, you know, I don't know that that's as close as as uh, as uh, Rick Welts, you know, because he works so intricately with him here. Uh, but there's a good relationship to the point where uh, he was interested in, in hiring his son at one point, who was assistant GM at Golden State. Uh, so I think it's you know Steve Kerr doesn't have any problem getting along with just about anybody. And when he passes through towns on his TNT job, he meets everyone. Um, so I, he's, a, he's the kind of person that – his strongest suit, I think, is that he's a people person and a communicator. And, and he's able to do that all levels, whether it be the, the owner of a team or, you know, somebody who needs to coordinate team shop stuff with him. I mean, it's just he's uh, – that was one of his gifts as a, as a Suns GM is he was coming into a job where he had never really been a, a supervisor before and hadn't worked – for a basketball team uh, beyond being a player, but he threw himself into the job to where he was going to meetings at at all levels of the Suns. Some you know things that had nothing to do with the basketball side. He would go into a business meeting or a marketing meeting just so he would understand those sides of the business. Uh, you mentioned Rick Welts. Uh, why don't for people in New York who are listening to this and don't know who he is, what's the relationship between him and Kerr? How that start? What does Rick Welts do? 
Uh, well, Rick Welts is a is a major NBA figure that a lot of people don't realize uh, his background. He ca- he came up through the Sonics when they won a championship and uh, was a PR guy. Uh, wound up in the league, uh, was really behind the. He was really the creator of the All Star Weekend. You know, at a time where uh, the All Star Game was a fledgling uh, event, he uh, came up with the ideas for the dunk contest and the three point contest and. We all see what that's become almost overshadowing Sunday at some point. Um, and he was you know, a trusted advisor to Stern uh, in his years in the league office on the business and marketing side. And then he came to the Suns to be uh, president and eventually CEO and uh, handle the, ran the business side of the Suns. And now he is with the Warriors. Uh, how do you – you already mentioned communication as a, one of Kerr's strengths. What other – characteristics does he have that makes you think he will succeed as an NBA head coach? Well, I mean, I mean, we can all, you don't have to know him to, to realize what a sharp basketball mind he is. You just watch games and hear the way he analyzes differently than other people. He's, he's got a gifted basketball mind that sees things uh, differently than other people. Uh, he's, he's a very smart person. And, uh, you know, it's that communication thing. I think it goes goes uh, goes beyond just having a being a people person it's the way he will handle players he will he will have a good relationship with players he will not avoid uh, he will make people feel better about bad situations he, I think he will be good at having people understand and, and embrace their roles and uh, he's got a lot to prove on the X's and O side because he's never coached uh, but this is something that he always wanted to do it was you know he he became kind of an accidental GM. He had sort of resisted the job. He was an advisor to Robert Sarver for a while as a part owner of the Suns, and uh, he was the one that kind of introduced Sarver to the opportunity to to, to buy the Suns through uh, Lute Olson. They didn't know each other, and Lute Olson had introduced them. And, um, so he, he had always wanted to coach and always envisioned himself coaching, and eventually when the Suns were in a position where they really needed a GM and D'Antoni uh, didn't look right as a good fit to do both jobs, coach and GM. Kerr stepped in, and it was a mixed bag of, of results. You know, his, his his drafts were hit and miss. You know, there was uh, Robin Lopez and Earl Clark and Goran Dragic, you know, and Orlando Tucker. So, um, but he's definitely considered a, a pretty wise mind. He he leaned a lot on his staff at the time to learn the nuts and bolts of the other side, but use his wisdom and sometimes you know. Some of the decisions weren't his. You know, he really didn't want to do the Shaq trade, but everybody else involved did. And uh, his in- initial inclination was to not do it. And you know, in hindsight, he was probably right. Um, the, uh, there was a lot of talk in New York how the owner was a big reason that he didn't want to come here because he was worried about that. Well, right, the, the Golden State owner's reputation isn't exactly squeaky clean either. How do you think he would handle if? the front office in Golden State tries to get a little handsy with what he's doing as a coach? Well, I think in today's NBA, you have to accept that owners are going to be that way to some regard. This isn't; These aren't old family businesses anymore. These are guys who had success uh, in some other venue, and they feel like they, they know how to run things, and it's their money, so they're going to want to have some input or involvement or say on some things. But I think it's a, a big difference between uh, Dolan's track record and 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 
you know, what Joe Legum's getting a bad rep for is is firing a successful coach, but there was a lot behind that beyond, uh, you know, the win-loss record. There was, you know, a, a lack of relationship between Mark Jackson and just about everybody in the front office in Golden State from uh, across the board, not, you know, not just the GM or the assistant GM or the president or, or the owner. So there was... There was, a, there was a deeper relationship problem there that I don't think would exist with Steve Kerr because uh, his ability to get along with people is much different and he has a prior relationship. Now, the Kerr-Curry thing, it's funny. You, you were obviously on site where the Suns hold their draft. I was in studio because there was a Diamondback game that night and we were the flagship for the Diamondbacks and the Suns, so we had already cut out of our of our son's coverage for the draft. Why don't you explain what happened in that whole situation with Curry and uh, Kerr? It's a fun story. Uh, well, yeah, they were uh, being active that night and, and, and trying to move up. And uh, the entire staff was very high on Steph Curry. Uh, Amari was on the trade block at the time. Uh, and they felt like they had an uh, trade in principle with Golden State that would send Amari there and give them the pick. Um, and uh, once the Minnesota pick came up before Golden State, uh, we were all, uh, the press area was set up like a level below where the basketball operations was with kind of an open stairwell in between and some walls, but not enough to stop uh, us from hearing a loud cheer from upstairs once Minnesota picked Flint. Johnny Flynn, uh, because at that point the Suns felt like they had their man, um, and I was hearing from sources inside at the time that uh, they felt like Curry was theirs, uh, their guy, and even even when there was some initial uh, uh, kind of denial that there was any deal in place, uh, they still felt there was, and it was only you know, later that they found out that Golden State had some misgivings about the whole thing because they didn't expect. Uh, Curry to drop there either, and, and they decided they wanted to hold on to him. But the Suns really didn't know that for real, uh, for sure, until a day later. You know that at that moment that night, they thought they had Steph Curry. Um, two names getting thrown out with the Knicks. Two guys that you you've been covering this league for a really long time, and they've both been out west. And I think you might have some insight on them. I'm not a hundred percent sure. So if you don't, you can just say it, and we can move right along. <laughs> Derek Fisher and Tyron Lue. Um, Lue's with Gentry out in the Clippers. Uh, do, you, do you like you like those names? you see them as potential good head coaches? I have way more knowledge of Tyron Lue than you realize because uh, when I worked in Kansas City, I covered high school sports, and he was a high school player back then. So I go back with him quite a ways. Uh, he wasn't even the star player in the city at the time, Derek Hood, who was a McDonald's All-American that went on to Arkansas, was the star player in the city. And Teron Lou was the one that had the NBA career. Uh, Kansas didn't even recruit Lou, and he wound up going to Nebraska. But he was he's always been a, uh, a good kid, a spunky fighter. I call him a kid still. He shoot, he's a grown adult. Uh, but he, uh, he's been talked about in coaching circles for a long time as somebody who's a rising star. And, you know, Doc Rivers... Uh, was huge on him in Boston, and he started out as like a player development guy and has moved up the bench. Um, and I've talked to Alvin Gentry about him once they came to the Clippers, and he's like, this guy's going to be a head coach. Um, 
he's he's got he's got all the things and and when with him his background as a Laker, he has some association with Phil Jackson there. Uh, that makes sense on some different levels. You just I wonder if he has enough uh, front row experience yet to do that job. But shoot, people are hiring people out of the out of the booth with no coaching experience, so it's hard to say that. I don't, um, who else did you mention before that? Der- uh, Derek oh, Fisher. Derek Fisher. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any personal experience with Derek Fisher other than to just know, um, you know, that he's considered professional. Uh, you know, a guy that's very serious about his work, and you know, he's this late in his career, he's still one of the hardest working players on the team, you know, first to arrive, still trying to learn things on film and that sort of stuff. But the thing with Derek Fisher is I think he's got a lot of other career options out there. You know, he could, he could be the next president of the players association possibly too. So, um, this, this wouldn't be the only thing. And I think, um, I don't know if Jason Kidd's is an example, a good example or a bad example. It started so rough and then ended, ended better so I don't know that if that jump from directly from player to head coach is has a lot of uh, background on it yet after what happened between with the lockout and the players association and dealing with the owners do you think there's any chance that a chance an owner would be hesitant to hire Fisher because of pre of the previous situation yeah certainly um yeah I think there would might be some issues there from conversations that we never hear in closed boardrooms uh and, uh, but, you know, I think, I think owners go through this a lot, you know, owners have some, have some tense negotiations with players on contracts and then turn around and love them as, as their player again. Um, so, um, I think everybody, uh, is business, our businessmen in this situation, they know uh, how to move on from those type of things quickly if they, if their person is right for the job. All right. You are in Chicago for the pre-draft combine. What, so what's that like covering as a, as a media member? <laughs> it's, you know, it's like, it's two different. I've, I've stayed at home and watched, uh, watched it on TV and had a totally different experience than being on scene. You know, <laughs> it's here. Uh, we're mostly as players finish, as the groups finished, we do, uh, interviews with them and they'll come in maybe 10 at a time and sit at tables, uh, individual tables and groups will, and you kind of move around the room and, and use the time to interview each group. So basically, most of our time here is spent uh, interviewing these players and very little time actually seeing what they're doing out there. Not that there's a lot going on. It's not like the old days at Moody Bible where there's five on five and you're really gathering uh, some information. I mean, this, the most important things that come out of combines are the, the, the measurements, the medical exams, and the interviews that they do individually with teams behind the scenes. So... Um, you know, as a media member, it's it's the first time we've interacted with a lot of these guys, so you get a better feel for their personality. You start uh, asking different types of questions than what they've talked about in college. It's more, you know, what they're trying to prove at this level, what you know, what knocks they have on their game, what they feel like, uh, how they feel like project position wise, uh, and that sort of thing. When are uh, do we, do, you, do you know when the Suns ones are starting out here? Their individual workouts. They'll do it right after Memorial Day. Uh, they a lot of this stuff is just now being uh, set up, uh, and they'll uh, start bringing in guys right after that holiday. They get a little bit of time to gather. You know, they'll probably interview almost half the guys here uh, during this time, and so it's a lot of information to process when they get back before they go uh, take a, a closer look. Sorry, everyone, that was just a personal question because I want to <laughs> know when I get to start going to to. Uh, 
draft workouts. Um, back to they're big, open, unlike the pre- previous regime. Huh? Yeah, it's nice. They they don't hide who they they talk to, and we get to t- interview people. It's, it's a friendlier atmosphere out here. Yes. Um, did you do you like it better on TV or in person? Um, I you know I I record, I DVR it anyway, so I'll see both. <laughs> I, I'd rather be here because uh, there's some good information to be gathered. Not only from uh, getting to know these college players a little bit better, from talking and asking more specific questions, but um, and a- being able to write features and, and and that sort of thing on these guys before they even come into town. But also, there you know, this is like an NBA conference because all, all the coaches and all the GMs and and uh, some other personnel, you know, scouts and college type people are all around the scene. So uh, it's a good place to uh, intermingle and get some behind the scenes stuff. Anyone walking around with resumes handing them out? Oh, it's that's funny you mention that because last year that's what all this was about with the Suns because McDonough had just got hired, but they hadn't hired a head coach yet. And so not only did you have uh, people who were interested in that job, but imagine how many positions are open with a new GM and a coaching staff that's vacant. <laughs> um, so basically, I think McDonough's having a better time this year at the Combine where he gets to just focus on scouting talent rather than uh, having every uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry come up to him asking him about an opening. That's probably why Phil didn't go to the actual combine, and he just was doing interviews behind the scenes, now that you mention it. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it can be quite distracting. Not that they're gathering a lot from sitting in the bleachers watching them do uh, 75-foot sprints, but <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's not exactly a private area. I mean, you're pretty much exposed to everything here. A complaint about it on TV, and I haven't watched this year yet, so I, I got it on the DVR also. Now, I get it's nothing exciting, but if you're sitting down to watch an NBA draft combine, you're not a normal person. You're watching it. You're, you're, you're a media member. Or you're we are a, not. Yeah, or you're really, really nerdy, and you care too much about basketball. They don't show enough of what's actually going on, and they make it too much about the personalities on ESPN. Uh, that's true. They got the set set up there, and they got the four guys usually talking a lot of the time. And yeah, I've 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 uh, seen the other side of that. Where I mean, it's sometimes when they do keep it on the basketball a long time, you can you kind of can get bored of that too because it's, <laughs> there's only so much that they're doing here. It's it's hard to glean much from it. But I think one of the interesting thing is because they group them by position. It's the it's your first chance to see how guys look next to each other, and it's it's just a small thing, but. You know, when you just see measurements on paper for so long or watch guys separately, just to watch a guy side by side with another guy, sometimes it's really telling uh, who looks more muscular or who or the, the height difference between a couple guys or just the way they move. Playoffs. You think we're on – you think we're heading right back towards a rematch from last year or you think someone could uh, someone could turn this around? You think the Clippers or the Thunder – Indiana, Washington, maybe could upstage it. I mean, they could, but you know, I I went in thinking Heat Spurs, and nothing's really shown me enough to change my uh, opinion on that. Uh, the way the Spurs have disposed of their their first two teams, uh, you know, I, I give them a great shot to to even go all the way. Um, you know, I, it, you don't pick against a team with LeBron James on it at this point in his career. Uh, but I really like the way the Spurs team has played all season and the way Pop managed them to be ready for these moments. 
the way they took business, took care of business to give those bodies another rest before the conference finals. Uh, they're just, they're such a complete team. I mean, if you, if you enjoy watching basketball, I don't know how you, as much as the Suns fans hate them, I don't know how you can't enjoy watching that team, the way they move the ball, the way they play team defense, uh, and the way the way they run now. It's, for everybody that hated the way the Spurs played methodically before, they run and they they you know pop and embrace some of those old D'Antoni principles and, and incorporated them. And they always had it in them because I mean, even when they were a little bit slower, when they would play the Suns in the playoffs. They would go right up and down the court with them, and they just beat them at their own game. That was incredible. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And they, it was very uh, disheartening to the Suns at the time to to get them out of their game and still not be able to beat them. Uh, they're, I mean, these guys have been counted out for how many straight years now? <laughs> Probably four or five. They've been said to be too old, uh, and they not only. Does like Tony Parker at 31 look like he's in his prime when that probably should have been three or four years ago? But now they've got another star developing in Leonard uh, for that point. Whenever Tim Duncan does retire or or Manu moves on, now they've got uh, another guy ready to become a star. And what's what's uh, what's fun about this? I just can't. Le- Leonard versus LeBron would be so much fun again because as Leonard's taken an- another step and he's. If I could pick out any guy in the league based on body type and defensive abilities to throw at LeBron for a seven-game series, he's the guy I'm picking. I think he matches up better with him than anyone else in the league. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he's just his length, uh, too, in addition to his strength uh, and athleticism. It's it's quite a defensive package and then then the the flip side is that he's one of those few players that can make LeBron have to work at the other end too and you know we all know LeBron's a very good defensive player when he wants to be but he's not he hasn't been uh, zoned in on that end as much this this uh, season Uh, but a guy like Leonard will will make you responsible on that side Uh, I you know what but I I actually think I think Oklahoma City beats him now well you know, I, my problem with Oklahoma City is it, it's all KD and Russell, and and they they have to be great every night. And uh, I don't know if I'm to the point where I trust Westbrook enough. <laughs> Even on his great nights, you know, there's something at the end, like you know, you know, taking that three at the other night. He got bailed out by the Paul foul, but it was such a horrible decision at a clutch moment. Um, you know, I, I just. I would like to see Abaka be more of a third star, and he hasn't been. Yeah, I think that's coming. I think we're still a year or two away before his game continues to evolve, and maybe we see him do a little bit more off the dribble than just the standing, still catch and shoot jumpers. I think that I think that's coming. I just don't think I don't think we're there yet. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think I think we all got caught up in too much in how how far he came early and we forget how raw he was coming into the league. It's, it's quite remarkable to be even where he is. Yeah. Uh, Consider where he was coming into. The yeah. He's still a baby and he has, I, I mean, how old, how old is he? Do you, do you know off the top? I'm, I'm typing. Does anybody really know? <laughs> oh, well there's that part. Yeah. It's like baseball player coming from Cuba. Good point. Uh, let's see. He was born in 89, which means he is 25 ish. Oh, I'm not doing math. I need to just look at it. He's, tw- he's only 24 years old. I mean, holy crap. 
Yeah. He's still he's still so young, and there's still so much room there. Um, I'm so trying, impressed with his jumper. He had no jumper coming into the league. Yeah, it was all it was all length and athleticism right when he came in, and and as we all kill Scott Brooks, you do have to give him some credit for how he's developed these players. Yeah, and Cephalosha's turned into a you know a good defensive player. His offensive game probably hasn't come around like anybody thought he would when he came into the league. You know, the the Suns wanted him badly. They wanted him so badly. I think they were willing to give up. Uh, it was either two or three first round picks just to get him that year. Wait, wait. When was what was this? Who, who was in charge was, then? Uh, gosh, was that a? I think that was post Colangelo. So. Um, yeah, it must have been the, was it the Dan Tony Griffin type year? I don't know. Maybe that was Colangelo. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm blurring my years there, but, uh, it was, the Sonics were still in Seattle. Or, I, yeah, obviously if they were the Sonics. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't know. I didn't know that one. I didn't know the Suns were, were interested in him. Are you and you know who the Sonics took in all that fight to hold on to that pick? Uh, Sene. Oh, I was gonna say I was gonna guess Robert Swift. <laughs> well, pretty much the same guy. <laughs> oh, the the great thing about Ibaka is that was the Suns draft pick. Oh, uh, true. Yeah, yeah. That and oh, yeah, you know, but no, I, was, I was talking about them wanting Cephalosha. They didn't. Yeah, they didn't go after Ibaka. Yeah, no, no, I know, I know. You were talking, but oh, that okay. just it, that just that key talking about Ibaka and you being covering the Suns that reminded me that. Abaka was the from the Kurt Thomas trade to the yeah. to the Son. They were still the Sonics when they absorbed that, was, right? And there you go. You you came full circle back to Kurt, where he just got had to get fleeced on that deal because he was on owner's orders to make a cost cutting trade. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this because what even I'm Knicks fans. I'm sorry. This is another question that just came, and I'll let you go after this one, Paul, because I know you got a ton of stuff to do. And this is, you know what, actually it is relevant to the Knicks because Sarver is an example of how an owner can change. And the Knicks are hoping that James Dolan is a person who can change and evolve as an owner. What kicked into Sarver's mind that made him adjust and become a better owner, which he clearly has been? Um, boy, what did? I mean, at, at some point, some people that he respected uh one being kerr uh came through and kind of told him that it would be better if he you know what he really needed to do is he needed to have a basketball operations staff that he felt he could trust um and i don't think uh i don't think lance blanks ever earned that and that's why he got involved and pretty much did the goran Dragic deal himself when when the blanks regime was about ready to sign raymond felton instead and he trumped them, and he made it. You know, people don't want owners making basketball decisions, but that's a hell of a good Phoenix one. <laughs> glad he made that one. <laughs> and all Knicks fans are hating that he made that one, right? <laughs> um, so you know, it, it, there was just some subtle things that he began to understand. You know, he he looked back and he realized he mishandled the Joe Johnson thing, and um, you know, like his whole, uh, you know. Uh, was he when he flapped his wings at Popovich for holding guys out? You know, basically intimating that he was checking in front of everybody. You know, stuff like that. He, you know, the way he kind of acted midcourt. He moved his seats down to a corner, a little lower profile spot. You know, he doesn't 
he still yells at refs like anybody does, but you know, I think he picks his spots a little bit more. And uh, but he's still very involved, and they, and he has every right to be. It's his team, his money, and he likes to you know like meet with the coach and and the GM after games, and you know he wants his office is you know basically across the street in downtown Phoenix, so he can call somebody over there or, or pop in at any time. How did he learn to value draft picks? How did he learn the value of draft picks? Yeah, instead of just giving them away for nothing. Yeah, um, you know, early on, his his I think his approach was, you know, why am I going to pay somebody guaranteed money that's not going to play? And, uh, you know, his first move, he had just barely become owner, and and they traded the, the pick that was uh, dang to uh, Chicago, not knowing that Iguodala would be there. Uh, so that was probably the, f- the first lesson uh, to not act too early or too harshly. You know, they were just trying to get some extra salary cap space for free agency. Um, oh, question, question before you continue. Was that, because we were discussing this, I was having a discussion with Twitter on someone. Was that how they freed up enough money for Nash, or would they had enough money anyway? They had enough money anyway, but they were going – they needed two players. They also signed Quentin Richardson that summer. Uh, so it, it was more to open up money to do two guys. And, and, you know, Nash wasn't a, wasn't a max guy. Um, and there was some thought, uh, that they were going to go after Kobe, uh, before free agency. But by the time free agency came around, they realized that wasn't going to happen. And they went after Nash right away. Uh, but you know, my, you know, revisionist history is very easy, but my, Q was perfect for that team, but I always thought that they could have uh, kept the pick, signed Nocioni for less instead of Q, and been a good team. And, but, you know, and, who knows? Q, Q was the right personality for that team, too. You have Iggy and his defense, and he develops two years down the road. That might be the piece that puts them over the top, though, because you have a little... Like, they, they were... Him and Marion would have given you two elite wing defenders plus been still been pretty damn good on offense yeah and that's ultimately why they traded q after that season because he couldn't guard manu <laughs> uh, so the defense ended up being the the fall and then you guys got kurt thomas from the knicks the knicks and Suns are weirdly linked in a whole bunch of ways like well when... the knicks saved the Suns franchise by the by the Marbury trade. <laughs> yes, they did do that. And then the, the Kurt Thomas trade. I also relate them how they always had the the team that they couldn't get by. You guys had the Spurs. The Knicks had the Bulls. They each beat them once, but it was kind of just a weird thing, and neither of them were able to finish the job and win at all when they beat them. Yeah, that's true. But, and I don't know if Knicks have... Uh that moment but the Suns always have the uh, suspension moment to say that that was that was the team that would have broke through or even the 05 team that you know Joe F- Johnson fractured his face and Roger uh, had an injury in that uh, playoffs to make people wonder about that one too yeah we had the we had the get it going off the court suspension before you guys did in 96 <laughs> 97 we had a but we were up three one against the Heat in a playoff series, and it was for the right to go face I think the seventy two win Bulls, and the Knicks went two and two against them during the regular season. Actually played them really well. They had a bunch of suspensions and ended up losing that series to the Heat. I'm pretty sure that was the only time they ever lost to the Heat in a playoff series. So we there's that link too. 
it's, Everybody's got angst in their city about something, huh? Yeah, the stern, we all have hatred to stern, for Stern for suspending people to Unless you live in action. Boston. Yeah, then you love <laughs> them. Yeah. All right, Paul, thank you very much. Go back to enjoying the combine. Uh, check out Paul's stuff. If you ever want anything Suns-related, I'm sure he'll have some stuff about Kerr in the future. Also, if there's anything interesting there, azcentral.com. Follow him at Paul Coro. You got anything you want to plug or anything? There's be lots of draft lead-up coverage in the next month, you know, starting with the combine and uh, all the draft workouts that come through. So if you need your fill of catching up on college basketball after watching NBA all year, we'll, we'll do that. Yep, so if you're a Knicks fan, you want to be jealous about all the potential players you could have gotten in this year's draft. The Suns have three picks. You can read Paul's coverage about all the players so you can torture yourself. Paul, (laughs) thank you very much. I appreciate you jumping on. And that wraps up this edition of the Knicks Wall Podcast. The Knicks Wall Podcast.